we focus really hard on digital strategies because that's the that's the native language of the generation like born in the 80s and after right is digital first so it's for us it's kind of it's not replacing their mix it's augmenting what they've already done for decades You're listening to Toolbox of the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Hello, contractors, and welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades. Today's guest is another podcaster and champion for the trades, Ryan Redding. Ryan hosts the Blue Collar CEO podcast and owns DPMarketing.Services, an agency that specializes in lead generation for HVAC, plumbing, and other home service shops. Like myself and probably most of you listening, Ryan stumbled into the trades only to discover a love for helping the blue collar industry. I hope you enjoy our thoughtful conversation as much as I did. Ryan Redding, welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades podcast. I am so glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. What is up, everyone driving around? Uh, I am I am so excited for you to be here. I'm glad that you are too. You are the host of the new podcast, Blue Collar CEO, and you are also the founder of dpmarketing.services, which is a marketing agency that specifically caters to folks in the trade industry. Now, when you and I first met, and this is kind of how I really want to start off the conversation. You and I are just two people who accidentally fell in love with the service industry. Totally didn't yeah, expect totally. to get here. So I would just love for you to tell us your story. How did you get into the trades? Yeah, and I, I always tell people entirely by accident. So my background was in marketing. And uh, maybe, gosh, it was a few years ago, I, there was an opportunity to be able to, like, you think about Main Street, Small America, you know, where... There's bakers and chiropractors and self-storage places and plumbing shops. They're all just kind of on Main Street, USA. And they all have really crappy websites. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah. it was one of those, you know what I mean? It's like everyone goes there, they walk in off the street. No one really has the knowledge or the money to do something. So early on, it was like, let's just give them a high quality website that, you know, doesn't suck and doesn't cost an arm and a leg. And so really that we started just doing like, inexpensive decent websites for these main street small businesses and uh so yeah we we picked up chiropractors and bakers and self-storage place uh, places and plumbers at the same time one of the plumbers we picked up he was nothing special like he was just one of small army of just you know businesses his business just kind of blew up he went from a guy working out of his garage could barely like pay his bills to now he's the next star company. He spends his time golfing. It it's just like the night and day transformation of his business um, through the impact of digital. And uh, he he was the first person to say, "Bro, look, you got to just focus on people like me. We we don't know what we're doing. We need the phone to ring." And uh, I got to be honest, I wrestled with it for a while. Yeah, because it's one of those things where it doesn't sound sophisticated. You know, it doesn't have like this thing you talk about at cocktail parties or whatnot. Dang it, he was right. We kind of started focusing on just the trades. We actually get specifically plumbing, HVAC, electrical. We have a handful of remodeling companies we work with, but really in the process kind of completely fell in love with the blue collar trade and became just really passionate about helping 
these guys and these women build really successful, really profitable business, helping them not only reach their personal goals, because that that feels a little bit utilitarian, but help them like have a really positive impact on the communities that they serve and the teams they support. So yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun to stumble into it. How about you? Like what's your, how did you end up in the trades? Oh my goodness. We're doing a, I love when an interviewer interviews me. Uh, this is the risk you run into when you have a podcaster on your podcast. So uh, very, very similar to you. Uh, I actually grew up in the trade. So my father's a carpenter. So I was, you know, surrounded by handyman, contractors my entire life had no aspirations or ideas that I would ever get into it I got my degree in psychology neuropsychology was going to become a mental health counselor googled the starting salary for mental health counselor in New York City which is where I'm from and was like oh boy that's 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 tough I had gotten into tech at the time and was working at a bunch of b2b SaaS companies and just kind of like hopped from one of them to to another as progressively each of those softwares while great softwares well-intentioned team just didn't fit a niche wasn't serving a market in a way that was truly disrupt disruptive and transformational so i kept working on all these startups that just weren't doing anything had a stint in comedy where i was trying to break into the entertainment industry in la which is what got me out here Turns out that's a lot harder than you think it's going to be. And I have uh, got to see some of that footage. <laughs> oh, it exists. It exists. If you if you were to really try and Google me, you could actually know just a simple Google of my name will we'll yield some stuff. So, you know, have fun after this. <laughs> but uh, I came across Service Titan after I'd been in L.A. for maybe two or three years, fell in love with their story, you know, two founders who immigrant story came from Armenia their fathers worked in the trades worked their butts off to put their sons through you know phenomenal colleges get the best education they could and then these two sons met on a ski trip that's how the the story goes and we're like you know before we go work for Google or Facebook or for all these like crazy companies let's build software for our dads and it hasn't stopped since so i was really taken by one, the mission, because my dad's in the industry, and he actually says to me all the time, because he listens to this podcast, he says, well, if I had your podcast when I had my company, my dad had a, a carpentry fan- franchise in the 90s, things would have been different, So, which makes me feel really good, right? And uh, the more I worked at Service Titan, got to know the customers, the folks that actually that weren't even on Service Titan yet, partners such as yourself, the more I just fell in love with it. I was like, this is the most supportive industry I've ever been a part of and everyone in it has a really interesting and unique story so it just it's really cool and I actually love talking about it at dinner parties because it's definitely not what people expect yeah totally and it's funny hearing about your dad because my dad had a similar background too he he was in pest control ah. uh, and did pest control really until the dot-com thing started taking off and people stopped using the yellow pages and started using AOL and uh, or ask Jeeves or whatever the big search engine was pre 1996. And his business did the opposite, you know, maybe of what your dad was, he, he just tanked, he struggled to pivot, struggled to transition mentally as like modeling the business into this new era of marketing and customer expectations. And even just adopting technology for the business to operate everything was on paper. So it's, well- it's interesting. It's super interesting. And I mean, talking about you mentioned digital in your explanation before, you know, the digital shift has made such a tremendous impact on this business. But I will say there are folks, we actually have Crystal Williams, who was on a couple episodes ago at the 
tail end of season three, who she serves a service area that still uses yellow pages and they still got yellow pages from 20 years ago. So it's so fascinating to be able to see the different like makeup of the country and how what works in terms of marketing for a business in Atlanta works so different for someone in say Plano, Texas, you know, just because of the types of customers that are there. And I imagine that within your role, you probably have clients also all over the country, maybe all over North America. And you probably have to make those pivots a lot. Don't you? Yeah, we, that's one of the both fun and interesting things about what we do. So we are very narrow on the companies we work with. And so because of that, we can work with companies kind of across. So our guys are all over the US and Canada. But some markets, we can be really, really laser focused on what we do and have a massive impact. Some we have to get really clever. But what comes to mind is we actually work with a company in Denver, which when most people think Denver, big metro area, right, very affluent, very economically and ethnically diverse, they are a 97-year-old company, which is rare in the trades to begin with. The phone book is a significant lead source for them. But it's not because it's not because of what most people think of in the phone book, which is, oh, there's a problem, open it up. It's a generational thing. This company has worked with three generations of customers. Mm. So great-grandma worked with the same company as grandma, worked with the same company as mom. And now like kids are coming into the picture. So they just pass down this like family knowledge, the phone numbers that are written down, like in the, you know, silverware drawer, they just pass them down the generations. It's really, really fascinating how that's playing out. That is, that is really fascinating. So this client specifically, I really would love to just learn more about the types of tactics you implement for consumers, consumers, clients across the the continent for this that one in particular like when you said that to me i was like okay so it's a generational thing if i was in that business i may be thinking all right how do i get my name out there still because eventually that piece of paper that's in the silverware drawer underneath something's going to get lost or it's going to go away so what kind of work do you do from the marketing perspective to strategize against that yeah, so we're the whole point of our focus right now is essentially replacing a generational segment that's dropping off. Sure. And it sounds really weird and really cold, but we're kind of saying, hey, people over 65, you guys are rocking your phone book number. Like, great. We're going to narrow our focus and we're going to focus on the emerging uh, demographic that's coming into place. So we we focus really hard on digital strategies because that's the that's the native language of the generation like born in the eighties and after, right, is digital first. So it's, for us, it's kind of, it's not replacing their mix. It's augmenting what they've already done for decades, way before us, uh, way after us, but to bring them into a new customer segment that hasn't been cultivated to date. Interesting. So what do you, so I I love this. I'm trying to think. So I'm in that age bracket, right? I I should have a house, but I live in Los Angeles. We established that. I don't have one. But if I were a homeowner, you know, in my early thirties, what kind of messaging would you give to me as someone who raised and was raised in the digital world? And you have this client now who's been around for 97 years. Like what kind of levers are you pulling? Are you working on brand campaigns? Are you getting them ramped up on social? Are you doing email, PPC, SEO? A little bit of everything. Yeah, so our our preferred approach, the the nerd term for those who aren't marketers is called omni-channel. It essentially means you're you're doing different things for different reasons. However, at the end of the day, you're moving everything forward, right? So 
for that specific client, we're doing a combination of unbranded organic branded search. We're doing a lot of top of funnel things. Uh, they do sponsorships with local TV stations for sporting events. We do a lot of things on social, including getting into TikTok, which has been a lot of fun. So we're trying to, to essentially do up and down the funnel and fill out those segments as we move forward. Direct mail, in our experience, tends and go either way. If it's a company that has a brand presence and a previous customer base, it's a really, really efficient way to cultivate leads. If it's cold outreach, if it's an unknown company, for instance, if a company comes into a market space, if they're focusing on direct mail, either email or physical, sometimes we find it's it's not super efficient. So in this case, because of their customer base is so dang huge, it's a super fantastic tool. And even if they haven't been a direct customer before, they know someone in their family's history has. So it's been passed down. And so even with like the social campaigns, it's a lot of fun because we do a lot of work showing the history of Denver with the history of the business. Like ah. where, hey, this company is around when that building was constructed. And you see like this service truck driving down the road, like a guy in overalls and suspenders. I mean, it's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. That's so cool. And also blessings to whoever was running the marketing for the company, you know, 97 years ago and was like, someone will want these photos because it is hard to get photos from contractors when you're trying to be like your social media. Teeth. <laughs> it's like yeah. pulling I, I think, yeah, that's something guys don't realize how important and how visual people are, you know, like yeah. just we're visual creatures and it's hard to communicate that sometimes with guys. I know it's, a, I, no one likes getting their picture taken, but come on. It's, I know. I agree. Later. So digital, I hear this a lot when I talk with contractors or it's not necessarily that they say it, but it's definitely a theme in our conversation, which is I, you know, turn wrenches. I know how to install a brand new water heater or HVAC system. I don't, why do I have to learn marketing? Right. There's so much that goes into digital. I mean, I already listed a bunch of them. How do you even, how should folks listening right now be considering or be thinking about their marketing, their digital strategy? If they're kind of like, I'm working with someone and I'm pretty sure they're doing a good job or it's like, I'm kind of plugged in. I'm kind of not like, what are some tips that you have in the work that you do to pass on to our listeners who maybe are working with an agency or doing it in house and maybe feel a little self-conscious about, is this actually working? Yeah, that's, there's a lot to that question. Cause that's, that's a, uh, there's just a lot there. So <sighs> on one hand, and the reason I say that is because Marketing is a massive field of study, right? I studied marketing as an undergrad in college. It was later part of my MBA program. It, it's a huge field, and you can have people in, in subject matter expertise within a very, very, very narrow sliver of what marketing would encompass, and they're exceptionally good at what they do. Mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean anyone who knows anything about mass media, like TV, billboard, radio, it doesn't mean they know anything about digital so it's, it's just this huge thing. And I think for a lot of people, not just people in the trades, but just general laymen, it can be overwhelming, especially when you hear vernacular thrown at you that you're not used to understanding. What's an impression rate? What's a CTR? What's a COA? What's a CPL? Like there's all these sorts of like secret code that in my experience, guys are just really intimidated to raise their hand and be like, uh, I don't know what that means. Can you, can you walk me through so for us, one of the, the values that's important to us when, we, when a client first contacts us, reach out, is we want them to understand at a management level what the data is saying. 
Mm-hmm. We don't we don't think they should be marketing tacticians. We don't think they should be marketing strategists. We're not asking them to like hop into AdWords and like leverage a PPC campaign with a lookalike audience or whatever. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is from a management perspective, how does one understand and assess the people that we're paying money to or the people we're bringing in the house or, you know, my cousin, Bob, are they doing what they need to be doing? And do I have the confidence that it's moving us where we need to go? Yeah. In fact, we literally, because this is such a big topic, uh, not to get into a plug, but a couple of years ago, I literally wrote the book on digital marketing for plumbing and HVAC contractors. It's literally called the book on digital marketing for plumbing and HVAC contractors. And the whole point is to kind of decode, demystify, and de-jargon like a very complicated field and put it into kind of a practical, tangible way of guys who just want to turn wrench. At least they can follow along, know if they're getting BSed, know if they're getting meaningful results. Yeah, I think I think it's a challenge all around. I'm going to take that a baby step further. One of the other things I think is is difficult for a lot of guys who are in the trades one of the things I've learned to love about them is they're very transactional, right? It's like, hey, I do X, you give me Y. And it's this kind of give and take, and there's this natural sort of rhythm that they're used to. There are a lot of types of marketing strategies that don't have that transactional sort of feel. Mm. So I think of branding. Branding is a really good one because it's one of those where you put a lot of time, thought, research, care, money, and time like you could spend months and years building out a really well thought brand campaign and you might not see a direct dollar that you could correlate from that work in a measurable period of time that makes you feel warm and fuzzy but that doesn't mean that it's worthless right it just means it's a different tool for a different reason and you have to measure it differently you can't go hey we got this billboard how many new calls did we get on the board today that sort of like attribution uh, will will absolutely cause a breakdown just because they don't they don't understand what they should be measuring and why. I love this point you made. Thank you for making it. And I actually wanted to talk to you a bit about attribution. And as a marketer myself, who works at a company where marketing is given an allocated amount of dollars that are expected to drive leads, there are certain initiatives. This podcast, for example where you it's very hard to show a if someone listens to one podcast then they you know purchase service sure. titan like it's very right. hard to have that attribution but all of those top funnel initiatives in my case you know a podcast a, a brand initiative i'm trying to think what would be another kind of like top funnel social media even like how can sometimes i see you know how can we justify being really active on organic facebook like no one's no one's checking out our facebook page it's like mm, but you know maybe they check out your facebook page when they're trying to book and your facebook page pops it's, up yeah and they see your smiling faces and they're like oh this company looks nice yeah i'll go with them it's so hard to point to that cuz that isn't going to show up on a number you're right so here's, yeah, one of, and I actually just did a video in this on, on our YouTube channel a couple months ago, but there's a common error with, with marketing attribution. And this, is, this has been true for decades, right? So it's not just like post Google or whatever, which is marketing is really good at measuring the point of last touch, right? So the classic example is getting a coupon out of the Sunday paper, taking it down to your grocery store and getting 50 cents off that watermelon, right? Like 
the grocery store knows the publishing date. They know the editorial that you pulled it from. They're able to track it down to, hey, that ran on that date in this particular newspaper. Great. That coupon worked. And they're right, right? That coupon was the appropriate little trigger that caused them to cut it out and get the watermelon. The problem is, and this is this has been historically true again, is that it doesn't do a really good job of painting the picture that led people to cut out that coupon in the first place. They could um, have passed a billboard that was like yeah. fresh watermelons at ABC Grocery, and they're like, oh, that sounds really good. It's incredibly difficult to measure those points of influence, right? Radio, jingles, uh, any sort of slogans, any sort of previous brand experience, your neighbor mentioning it to you, you know, in your cul-de-sac for a block party. It's really hard to get a true conversion funnel, like mapped out for a direct person's encounter. You can only measure the last touch. So that's to say measuring the last touch isn't worthless. It's not that it's invalid. It's just if you make every decision you make off of is this tactic or this channel good or bad based on that point of last touch, you're probably missing out on the bigger story that tells the influence of actually the, that customer journey. That's kind of a big one for me too. And I think the coupon is just an easy way to kind of help put it in people's mind on those things. And to be honest, it goes that way with, uh, with brand campaigns because people don't realize I'm a huge, huge fan of top of funnel marketing. I don't love paying for radio time. I don't know of another medium which gets inside people's bones as efficiently as radio does over time. Yep. Right? It just gets in your bones and you can't get these jingles out of your head. Those create really, really cost-efficient lead generation on every other channel. However, it's really hard to point to it and go, because that radio ad ran on this date, we got cheaper leads being converted on this date. It's really hard to drive that. There is, I don't know if you've been reading about this with your background, Google is working on in their crazy sort of Project X world where everything's kind of side experiments. They are working on a process to do customer acquisition attribution through the life stage, not just the point of last touch. From what I've read, it's a little bit freaky, but it's oh. kind of cool that, yeah, it's kind of cool that people are trying. I will just say that a couple of things. One, to be a marketer for a watermelon <laughs> sounds super fun. Two, uh, dream job. Dream job. <laughs> dream job. Two, it's when you get into like the life cycle, oh, Google's going to be doing some creepy stuff. I am sure of it. Yeah, when you really like, pull the hood you look under the hood of like how marketing actually works it's it's pretty terrifying in a lot of ways but also incredible and fascinating and enables businesses to grow but uh, it, it can be a big bit big brothery at times oh yeah and i will i will stop short because of the listening audience on my <laughs> like a uh, worst case dystopian fears of big brothers i'm sorry big brothers if you're listening right now i really like you <laughs> so, please don't cancel my tv <laughs> So um, tell me about, so I imagine because you actually explained that really beautifully, the last touch and the flaws in it and why you need to focus on top of funnel as well. I imagine you probably have to explain that a lot to a lot of your clients. Am I correct in that? Oh, totally. Yeah. Another, another practical example is uh, so pay-per-click, right? Pay-per-click's a digital tool, love it or hate it. I am not a massive fan of things like AdWords, but it's really good at targeting what you want. 
That said, one of the things we do, especially in a competitive market, is actually bid on the company's actual name, right? So if the name of your business is Johnny's Heating and Cooling, we're totally going to build out an AdWords campaign for Johnny's Heating and Cooling. And the idea being, we're also trying to play defense. So a lot of times contractors, we have a guy in Atlanta, I just had this conversation with him the other day. He's like, why am I paying money for my own name on AdWords, these people are going to go to me anyways, right? That's like the thought process. Going back to that transactional, they're already looking for me. Why are we paying for the ad? And I have to put it into his mind of, because if I'm competing against you, right? We work with like one company per service area. So we don't work with competitors. When a company like us identifies the competition we're taking down, we are totally bidding on the competitor's name and we will absolutely steal those searches. So, for us as playing, supporting our clients, we also have to protect them from people who would do what we do, right? We have to think defensively about making sure that we make it harder for other companies to compete into that segment. So even that, the point of last touch sometimes can be tricky to understand why is that important to do one thing or another because they think, hey, they're already searching for us. The job's done. Like, oh, bro, we're halfway there. Wow, is that a new thing? Yeah, lights too. Jeff, this contractor we found, was so easy to deal with. Oh, yeah? We picked out all our options on his tablet, and he had three estimates for us in, like, 15 minutes. It was like shopping online. Um, okay, does Jeff do bathrooms? Because that sounds amazing. Today's homeowners are finding out which contractors provide the easy, modern experience that only comes with Service Titan. Are you one of them? Visit servicetitan.com to request a software demo today. So another thing I really liked about you when we first chatted was in addition to educating your clients on best marketing tactics, explaining about attribution, explaining about last touch, the flaws and why top of funnel is so important and how it can be frustrating that it's hard to measure, but it can be really impactful, right? I want to learn about the other key business best practices you try to educate your customers on because we said like a lot of people who run these businesses they started off as technicians they started off in the more technical side of the business they say you know okay i'm gonna start my own business and i'm going to do it and it's gonna be great because i'm an excellent technician and they get in and then now they're in a you know super high stakes mba program almost where you can't make any mistake where you can't make any mistake or else you know you lose your livelihood so can you share some of the other you know, kind of core lessons that you impart on your clients or that you think is really important for the trades as a whole to be aware of? Yeah, gosh, this is a big topic. So let me start by saying there's a joke in marketing that great marketing makes a bad product fail faster, right? So a lot of these guys are like, hey, I just need phone calls. I just need leads. I need my job work full. If that's the focus, if that's like the most important thing in the world, what will likely happen is that those more leads will drive that company to a more quick demise. Mm. (laughs) Because really, everyone listening to this right now, they're not in the job of turning a wrench anymore. They're not reseeding toilets. They're not installing a mini split. These guys are in the customer service business. They take care of people. And the thing about people is people aren't exactly logical beings who sometimes feel. We're emotional beings who sometimes think. So we really need to be mindful of the customer experience from start to finish. 
from before they, they call you, before you pick up the phone, to how you answer the phone, to how you wrap up the call and move on. It is really important to be putting the customer at the center of every part of your decision-making process. If you think the customer is a burden or a chore or an obstacle to get to your next job, you're completely missing the point on why that phone is trying to ring to begin with. The other part, so customer is a huge kind of categorical thing that in some in some ways filters into every aspect of the business, right? Sure. Other ones would be things like knowing your pricing. I'm always, I'm always, always shocked of how many, how many guys don't understand how much it costs per hour to actually run their business and what their prices should be set at. I'm always struck. So at this point, they think, hey, all I really need is X many calls. I can run them cheaper than anyone else in town. When I hear that mentality, my alarm bells start going off because there's usually a lack of understanding that the busier they get, the more expensive, the more quickly they bleed through cash. Mm. And they don't have the financial acumen to be able to put that into a way that makes sense to them. So I would say kind of categorically, we, we spend a lot of time just focusing on those two huge things of always encouraging financial acumen, always putting the customer behavior uh, and experience at the part of the story. There's all other ways to improve efficiency and operations that are less sexy, less fun. Uh, you can hire people to fill those roles at some point. But kind of in my experience, if you if you don't know how to take care of people and if you don't know how the cash works, you're going to have a really hard time with everything else. So we, we spend a lot of focus there. Other things that are really important that are sometimes higher level, like when guys are wanting to transition from a, a $3 million company to a $10 million company. Oh, such a big are, jump. It's a huge, massive jump. So our focus changes then to a lot of leadership acumen, right? It's less about like business strategy and more about developing the leadership muscles so that they think about things fundamentally different. So that's, that becomes a big focus for us too. And, and that, frankly, the, the larger the companies get, that becomes more and more the types of conversations, which are really, really fun. But yeah, it just kind of depends on where they are in the life cycle, I guess, is kind of where, where the most pressing concerns are for them. I love that. And you actually just gave me a, an interesting way to think about it, because I'm always thinking about, all right, what's the difference between a company that pulls in 750000 a year versus a million? What's the difference between a million and three million, five and 10? 10 and 15, 20 plus. And leadership, the more I talk with folks, seems to be the thing that really you need to work on yourself. I had Keith Mercurio on last season, oh. and he said that owners, if you want to grow and you want to hit those double-digit million dollar marks, you need to focus on your leadership. Like There's no other way to do it because it sounds like that financial acumen, price your services right, figure out how much it takes to run your business and how much it's going to run your business as it grows and scales. That's like check number one. Check number two, are we taking care of our customers so we're getting a good reputation in the community, people are coming back, all that stuff. Check number two, it sounds like once you have finances and customer service down and you figured out a way to do it efficiently, you figured out a way to scale it. Now it's time for you to turbocharge yourself as a leader and make other leaders within your company. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. There, there's always ways to kind of outsmart things. You know, you can, you can improve efficiencies by how you organize the stock your truck before the day starts. But at some point, that's just going to help you save money. That's not really going to be the thing that boosts your revenue, mm. boosts the footprint of the company over time. The thing that will really scale the business, not just help you trim the bottom line, but really expand the top line is absolutely leadership. In fact, 
I would put it to say a lot of guys forget, but right when all the stuff with COVID first started happening in like early 2020, you know, there was a, there was a period of time there where it felt like every hour, like things were so dramatically changing so quickly. People were stressed. They were anxious. Like it was, it was weird, right? I don't want to experience that again. It was uncomfortable, but really quickly, I don't know if you saw this, but I felt like across the landscape, there were companies who within 30 minutes of news coming out were going out of business. They just, they struggled to get their head around how to navigate the choppy waters that were coming. And they're like, I'm done. It's been rough for too long. This, I can't do this. I'm out. I'm done. And they just, they, they quit. There were other companies who were like, guys, we've been building this and preparing for this for a long time. Not the public health thing, but with their leadership skills. And all those companies did in my opinion, all they did, they didn't do marketing better. They didn't do strategy better. They didn't do anything better. All they did was flex the leadership muscles that they had been working on for years. And it wasn't just the high-level executives. It was for every person on the team. They just stepped up. And it was really, really, in some ways, impressive. And in some ways, it's really sobering to see the night and day difference of the influence that that leadership capacity had on either successful organizations or organizations who couldn't quite weather the uncertainty. It's a huge deal. Yeah. I mean, the more I learn about how service businesses work and by doing this podcast and just speaking to over 50 people, we've done over 50 interviews at this point about how are can contractors be more successful? It always, always, always just goes back to leadership because at the end of the day, you're a service business that needs people. And people are in demand right now. And if you don't create an environment where people feel empowered, secure, challenged, you're really not creating a place where people are going to stay very long. And I think, I think we've gotten a little bit more sophisticated in terms of what we'll tolerate from business owners, especially in the last few decades. You know, they talk a lot about how millennials have very diff- different expectations for workplace environments like flexibility is very important to them flex time off opposed to just kind of like i'll be in from nine to five for 40 years and then i'll retire and then i'll die like that doesn't i get a watch (laughs) i get a watch like it's much more important to folks to enjoy the people they work with to feel challenged and to feel like a part of the team and at service titan with our customers some of our most successful customers i'm seeing the most successful customers are doing that for their team members. And they say, like, my first priority is is as a people manager and to make sure that folks are happy within the company and within this role. So I 100% agree with you. Patrick, I, th- it was, I think it was Patrick Lencioni, who's an author of no one's read him or heard him speak. He's got some really inter- interesting things to say, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to screw up the quote. It was, it's something along the lines of, if you can get everyone in an organization rowing in the same direction there is no industry like you can dominate any industry with any competition at any point in time like just imagine the synergy of everyone on your team looking at the same target understanding the same priorities making the same decisions not the same way you would but for the same values you would yeah nothing companies could not accomplish if they had that sort and really that's not having the right people in place necessarily. That's not doing things smarter than other people. That's just having a team led by solid leaders rowing in the same direction. It has nothing to do with smarts or luck or skill at that point. It's just, are you investing in yourself and your people? 
Yeah, kind of a bit of a kind of contradicts this podcast a bit. Top tips, tricks, and tactics to dominate your industry. Spoiler alert: it's leadership. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. There's 50 episodes condensed to a soundbite. <laughs> You're welcome. It took you that long. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Ryan. I'll retire after this episode. <laughs> so I would love to hear, so we talked finances, customer service, leadership. Those are your two big three. Can you share with me an example where you had a client who you coached on this and they put it into action and they had really excellent results? Either, either topic. Yeah, we've got dozens of cases like that. It's sometimes I tell people these stories and they think I'm like BSing them because they're borderline dramatic. Like we, we literally have cases where guys will call us. Nobody likes calling marketing companies. Like, let's just get it out there. No one's like, <laughs> hey, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to go call a couple of marketing companies because that sounds like a lot of fun. Like, they're usually trying to solve a problem. And sometimes those problems really suck. One particular case comes to mind of a guy who's, I didn't find this out till later. His wife had left him. He was getting ready to lose his kids by the courts. His business was circling the drain. And he felt like he was like a last-ditch attempt. to oh. And I'm happy to report that like three years after the fact, like his family's back together, his team is growing. He's actually expanding into different trades in different areas. I mean, it's, it's a night and day turnaround. He takes his family vacations in Tulsa where we are. Like that's the weird sort of affection and appreciation that 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 work has done for him because to your point these guys just they just want to work like they just want to run the call they just want to turn the wrench and that is fantastic but if we can help solve the the baseline problem of let's get the phone call to ring right that's that's the utilitarian issue now let's move our focus to actually helping you think and build yourself and the business as a whole that's really where the life change starts happening we have tons of cases like that and yeah, they sound made up, but they are, yeah, they're humbling. We actually, we have a wall in our office and it's lined with the faces of contractors with stories like that. It's just, it reminds us of why we do what we do. It's, yeah, it's a really powerful reminder of the why for us. We actually have a very similar thing at Service Titan too. We have a Slack channel called uh, Change Lives, which is one of our three core values and folks will post in there about these very dramatic stories we had one story a couple months ago that has stood out to me a lot after implementing service titan this woman lost 50 pounds because she was finally able to go exercise and like she didn't have to be like chained to the desk at all times she was able to awesome i know right and it's like oh this it, it feels really good to work for a software that is able to do that for people And when you kind of think about it, like the work you do, the work I do, and my team does, it filters into these communities that are all across the North American continent. So really, like we're having this ripple effect, which I think finding meaning in what you were in the the work that you do is can be very rewarding. So if anyone's listening, and you haven't figured out a way to kind of make that why for you and your team, please do because I think it does make a significant difference. Totally agree. I would love to know a little bit about how you approach lead generation. And I know this is a very loaded question as a marketer asking a fellow marketer, how do you get leads? But especially thinking about rural area versus metropolitan area and kind of what are these strategies that you look at when you're, when you're trying to make more phone calls come through? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So let's keep it just like rural versus like dense Metro for me, I think some of the, the biggest differences involve differentiation and efficiency. 
So for instance, we have a guy we work with who's in kind of rural Virginia, next to our company. He's running a multi-million dollar multi-trade business because he's the only one in a three-county area who thinks about business at the way he does, right? His trucks have awesome wraps. He puts a lot of focus on service. He uses Titan. So customers get these text notifications when guys are being dispatched. It is heads and tails above anyone else in his three-county radius. So it's really easy for him to stand out, right? And because of that, because it's really easy, he's able to be really, really efficient with other things. He doesn't have to do AdWords. He doesn't have to do like Facebook lead ads. He has this really dominant brand presence that allows him to kind of penetrate everything really efficiently. If you take that just up the road in same state in Virginia, it's like Northern Virginia. This is like for those who aren't really familiar, there's a whole lot of cities crammed around Washington, D.C., with some very massive players with very large budgets. And it is really, really difficult to do the exact same steps and solve the differentiation problem and solve the efficiency problem, right? Those become a deal. So then you have to figure out how do you, how do you niche around the competitors that you're working against? How do you find a way through their weakness and exploit those opportunities? And how do you find a way to do that as efficiently as you possibly can? It's always a chore, to be honest. And every, it's strange. Every market is different. You know, if Los Angeles, New York, Northern Virginia, Dallas, Fort Worth, these are really aggressively competitive areas. And sometimes you can't just do the same thing everyone else is doing because all it's going to make it do is really crappy for you really fast. So yeah. you, just, you have to find a way to, to stand apart and do not what everyone else is doing in most cases. I like those two keywords you just said there, which is differentiator and finding your niche. Do you do a lot of work with personas and developing personas with your clients? It depends. We like to. That helps us do better work when we know who we're writing copy for. We're really, really lucky if the, if the companies already have them. Right? Somebody's yeah. already walked them through that. It's like, oh, fantastic. We'll take everything you got on these personas. Sometimes we help them build them out. Sometimes they don't quite understand why we're wanting to. And sometimes it seems like more of a headache for them. And we're like, okay, we're not, we don't want to cause a headache right now. So we'll just, we'll circle back later. It's really important to understand who your target customer is. Don't spend your energy and effort on not your target customer. So it will make everything worse for you. And I think not just for the trades, I think that's true for everyone who goes into business for themselves as you go, well, who's going to buy your product or who's going to buy your service? And almost every time, universally, people respond, everyone. Everyone's going to want my new cookie, you know? Like, no, no, brah. So I'm bringing it back. Or dude. <laughs> no one's going to, not everyone wants your cookie. You have to find the way to identify the people who do want your cookie, find a way to communicate in a way that they understand that you're solving their problem, and then give it to them quickly. And so understanding those personas at a detailed level is really helpful for that. So yeah, it's not a like academic business exercise that you can just skip over. If you're if you're serious about focusing your your efficiencies, understanding your target customer is a huge, huge one. But then also going back to the first client of yours that you referenced in call the 97-year-old company, you know, that also potentially raises a flag much earlier than you would have known it before, which is, okay, our main core audience segment is aging out. And it's sad and it's a cold way to describe it, but it's, we need to start doing laying the groundwork now to get those 
younger generations on board with the business and turn them into customers. Yeah, so that was actually one of the ones we lucked out on because they had hired an outside company who specialized in the market research to help them identify the various personas in their geographic reach that they wanted to focus on. So they actually, I think right now, have eight personas. And the way that the business is structured is each of those eight personas personas are represented and targeted in different ways. So we're not saying this. there's only one persona. There's only one person. You can never talk about anyone else. It's just you clearly think through your messaging, your product mix, your offering, any sort of promotions are targeted to that one persona. You do that once, go to persona two. How are we going to do the same thing for this next group? And when you start doing that, especially when you have a really large metro area, you could cross you could cross analyze that sucker for days and have a lot of fun. There's lots of ways to to bring value to the people you've identified in a way that the business can actually implement well. Yeah, I also like the idea of um, really getting having a strong differentiator because at the bottom line, if you are an HVAC contractor, there's millions, right? There has to be hundreds of thousands of of HVAC contractors. Four hundred eighty thousand. Four hundred eighty thousand, exactly. So they all can do the same thing you do, right? But what is it about the thing that you're doing that makes it special and is going to make the customer, if your persona is a young family maybe who just bought a house in your area, how are you going to communicate to them that you are the best fit for them, even though when you actually take out all the bells and whistles, everyone's kind of doing the same thing, right? Yeah, that's always interesting because at some level, the point you're making is that to, to a certain degree, a lot of those services are like what we'd call it commodities, right? Sure. What's the difference between this toilet paper brand and this other toilet paper brand? And that's a really awful comparison. But you think through, there are lots of manufacturers who make different types of toilet paper, and they all do just fine. There are lots of fast food restaurants who make the same type of hamburger, and they all do just fine. So just because you're like, hey, we make a burger. Cool. But there's, there's a world of difference, I would argue, between like a, a – so I'm in the su- southern region between a Whataburger and an In-N-Out, right? Yeah. They're both solid. They're both burgers. They're, they're different. So you've got to find a way to say not just, hey, we can turn the wrench, not, w- not just we can, you know, hop off your AC, but what value or maybe even another way, what experience do you provide to the customer that makes you more meaningful? Yeah. Um, and that's a that's a tough question to answer for a, a lot of people. I have a question for you just as a marketer in general. Do you get really excited and geek out when you are properly targeted and you can tell totally. like, like, oh, they I know have, me so well. I have a drawer. <laughs> this is nerdy. I have a drawer full of either like emails I've gotten, like physical mail I've gotten, like stuff I'm like, uh, son of a gun, you you did really good. Yeah, and actually, one of them just went out of business. There was a bank called Simple. Did you ever hear? It was like a digital bank. No. They just like merged. They were acquired by, I think, BBVA, and BBVA kind of sucked them up. I'm still bitter about it. But everything Simple did was brilliant, like brilliant. And I would save every email. Like, like literally, I felt like a nerd. It was just so well thought. And so what would happen if people just did like that? All the time. I mean, it was such an enjoyable experience working with with Simple. Uh, better, days. better days. Better. Well, I think that's actually one thing that 
contractors can do as they're trying to wrap their head around marketing, trying to become more marketing savvy as they work with agencies like yours or with an in-house marketer, right, is to think about how you were receiving ads and messages. It's really interesting. I feel like once you turn that switch on, obviously, you and I are both in the marketing world, so it's kind of always on for us. But when I first got into marketing, when I made that switch, I was like, oh, crap, like, huh, all right. I see this and I see what's effective and I see what's not. Like I look at the direct mail pieces that I received that I throw out and I look at the direct mail pieces that actually make me stop and go like, huh, that's interesting. So I think that's a good tip for folks to do. Do you have any other like tips for owners or operators who are just like trying to just be more savvy about marketing? Yeah, I I still kind of come back to the old school thing of like, know your messaging. I think messaging is really, really difficult. And I think a lot of times it gets glossed over. I think people are are so drawn and so compelled to a good story. Mm-hmm. Right. So even today on Facebook, I was one of the companies we work with, they got a lead and literally the lead came in and was like, Hey, I'm in that red house down the corner that my uncle Bob got for me. And so-and-so's neighbor, I need a price of my AC. And you know, for a contractor, there's like, they just mean, that, okay, got it. We're going to go out and give you a quote here. But for people, we just naturally communicate with stories. That's how we, like, that's how we fall in love. That's how we remember things. That's how we talk to each other. And sometimes we forget about that. You know, we, mm-hmm. we focus on the steak and not the sizzle. And the more companies can dial into not only what story they're telling, but how are they crafting those messages in a way that, that connects with their targets in a way that accurately portrays the brand promise and brand experience that the company can, can provide the companies that can do that well, cannot be stopped. Like they will be extremely effective. A good one that comes to mind, like not a trade, but to help people kind of rack their head around it. I feel like Wendy's is always dialed in on their messaging. Yeah. Always from Twitter to TikTok, everything that they touch is like, holy Moses, they know exactly who they are. They know exactly how they're penetrating the noise. They are differentiating themselves. They put on a masterclass on leveraging messaging at a high level. Well, another thing you said there that I just want to highlight again, they know who they are. So that's, I think, another big thing for folks to do. Know what your business is. Like know who, like just know who you are and know what you offer, what you're really good at, what you're maybe not so good at where you want to work, where you don't want to work in terms of services offered and kind of just be familiar with that and make sure that everyone on the team knows that as well, right? Oh, totally. And there's, I take this from Marcus Buckingham who wrote a book, something about like, go discover your strengths or strengths finder. He, he wrote a couple books, but his whole thing is people don't know what you're not good at until you show them, right? So focus on the things that you're really good at. Focus on the painful problems that you can solve really well for customers do those things really well. Don't try to be everything for everyone because it will be really awful. Yeah, leverage the strengths. Agreed. I have a couple rapid fire questions for you. I have to say, I love it. I love having marketers on this podcast because it lets me geek out a bit. So thank you again for coming. Um, This is fun. Is there anything we should have talked about that we didn't talk about? Oh, that's tough. Um, We talked about a lot of things. How about this? Stop comparing yourself to the other guy. I'm just going to do that one. Oh my goodness. I, yeah. That's a, the, we could probably chase that rabbit for a while, but um, social media is fantastic at a lot of things. 
it is really bad about letting you think that somebody else's social media life is the true version of, you know, the social media presence of the business is a true reflection of the business. Stop saying, well, so-and-so is doing this. And so like, just focus in on what you do well, focus in on taking care of your customers, take care of your team. The rest will kind of fall into place, but yeah, stop, stop comparing yourself to everyone else. Not just in business. I mean, in real life in like personal it's true life across too. the board yeah yeah don't that's compare possible. your real life to someone else's highlight reel right because that's what social media is but um i hear that a lot because obviously there's some big players in los angeles in southern california that have really big budgets and sometimes you'll see people go like man i can't believe that they're spending this much or they're doing all these like should i be doing that and i totally get it right because no one knows what the, the heck they're doing we have no idea what we're doing, right? That's like the big secret that you find out when you become an adult is we don't know what we're doing. Uh, and I, so I think people are always trying to find out, like that person looks like they know what they're doing, but, th- but they actually don't. And what they're doing for them is not going to work for you because it's to- two totally different things, right? So I 100% agree with that. I'm glad you brought that up. Before, I definitely want to do the rapid fire questions next, but before I need to learn more about how you're doing TikTok because I love TikTok as a consumer. My For You page is completely tailored to me. It is all dog content. I love it. I would love to know what you're doing with your clients on TikTok. Like, give me some ideas. Like, give me, give, give the listeners some, uh, some examples. So the most honest version of this response is that this is still totally a work in progress. Two Octobers ago, I went to a conference in Austin, Texas, and I remember them coming out on stage being like, hey, there's this thing called TikTok coming out. It's really big for like 13 through 15-year-olds. It's really big in Asian communities. You might want to think about it the next five years or so. It's kind of a a thing. And I feel like maybe three months later, it was everyone everywhere was on TikTok. And I was like, what is happening right now? And it took me a while to figure out how people are using it, how it's spreading outside of the 13, the 15 year old group. So really what we're using it for is anything dance related is a lot of fun. It gets a lot of things, right? So if if anyone's not familiar with TikTok, it's a kind of a video meme sort of platform. It's hard to describe, but it's comedy is a big part of it. So we have guys who will post videos of something going wrong in a comedic sort of meme fashion or the dance sort of things that I, I'm not going to do because because I care about the people who may be watching this at some point in time. Um, I'm not going to dance. But just have fun, be human, be be yourself. Don't, don't if, you know, if you're a 65-year-old guy in a truck, please don't try to pretend like you're a 13-year-old girl. That's not the point. Just have fun. What's crazy, though, when we started having guys, like, experiment with it and we started coaching them on, like, this or that, I, I honestly never in a million years thought that these guys would get leads. I was like, okay, it's just something else to add to the mix. You know, eventually this age group will age up. (laughs) They'll become paying customers at some point. These guys get leads, like actual literal people saying, hey, I found you on TikTok. And I'm like, this is, that's nuts to me. Everything about that transaction is nuts. So I don't feel like we have a good grasp yet because it's, uh, TikTok doesn't have geographic borders necessarily, you know, so it's really hard to say, hey, we're going to localize content for just people in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're still trying to figure out exactly how to scale that well, but it's it's been a lot of fun to try. So yeah, if nothing else, have fun, go out, try, watch the dog videos. Showcase your team, showcase some cool stuff that happens on the job, learn some sounds. It's a, it's a 
behemoth of a platform. Like I, I, I'm trying to make my own TikToks just as a marketer. I feel like I should be familiar with it. And yeah, it's tough. It's a tough, it's a tough platform. Yeah. We have we had one guy the other day, they did a voiceover. Like the, the owner of the company did like this voice email to everyone on the team, but Hey guys, here's the things you need to know for this week. And it sounded very like angry school teacher talking down to the pupils. And so he did a, he did like a voiceover video where he's speaking the words, you know, through her audio. It was hilarious. Something about seeing a, a bearded man driving down the truck, dri- driving down the road in a truck with a, you know, 32 year old woman's voice. That <laughs> was fantastic. Oh, I love that. Oh my goodness. I'm so, this has been a great conversation, Ryan. I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Let's roll. How do you take your coffee? Straight up black and nerd coffee. I'm very nerdy in my coffee. Nerd coffee, like mushroom coffee, or, or no, no, you... not not that. Uh, are we? I don't know if we're saying the same thing. No, I just I'm very picky in my coffee. I like very good quality coffee. I kind of do the whole like a Chemex brew thing. Yeah. Oh, wonderful! So you're a pour over guy. Totally. No, no cream, no sugar, and not crappy coffee. Got it. If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Um, Elton John. Wow. I mean, I think he'd be a blast. Uh, what's the number one thing you're trying to learn about right now? Oh gosh. I'm trying to learn, uh, the, I just picked up a book that I've been going through called who, not how that's what I'm working on is how to, how to solve problems by who's not how's. Ah, interesting. If money weren't an object, so you had unlimited resources, what's the first thing you would do? I would buy an Island in the Philippines and like one of those little small islands that is room enough for a house and a yard. Love it. What's the number one thing every contractor must do to run a successful business? Hire smart people. Finally, any more book recommendations? You've actually given a few throughout the episode, but any go-to books that you would like to refer? Yeah, that's a good one. So uh, anything Patrick Lencioni is really good. Anything Marcus Buckingham is really good. I'm sure a lot of the guys here have read things like uh, The E-Myth, which is always a really good uh, book. There's one called Culture Eat Strategy for Breakfast. Ooh. Really like that one. It's based off a quip of a guy named Peter Ducker, who was a like a business guru in the 70s. He just made this quip one day of like, you know, people are talking about strategy of this, strategy of that. It's like, yeah, culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's about the importance of organizational culture. It's fantastic. That's um, really good. Yeah. Nice. Well, Ryan, I had a blast. I'm excited to come on Blue Collar CEO. Because we're going to do a little, uh, oh, no, I'm not going to do it. You had uh, John Brewer on Blue Collar CEO. Yeah, uh, John. Yeah, John's good people. Now with Titan, he's he's really good people. We will definitely link to that episode. John Brewer is a former customer, customer of Service Titan, turned now one of our, I believe he's a pro product specialist, but I could be wrong on that. I have to check. But I think that's going to be a great episode. So I look forward to listening to that. And um, this was a great conversation, Ryan. Thanks so much for your time. This was so much fun. Thanks for having me on. See you later. Ever wonder how much your business is worth? So many owners ask that question and have no idea where to turn for an answer. In just a few clicks, Service Titan's new Service Business Valuation Calculator can give you an easy and free estimate of the current value of your business. Whether you're thinking about selling your company or looking to track growth, check it out now. Visit servicetitan.com slash value. Again, that's servicetitan.com slash value. See how much your business is worth today. 
Want to network with fellow service entrepreneurs and former guests of this podcast? Join our private Facebook group, Toolbox for the Trades, to get immediate access to the best tips, tricks, and tactics from fellow service entrepreneurs. Visit facebook.com slash group slash toolbox for the trades, or click the link in our show notes to join. See you online.